Hello, friends. Oh, that was so good. That was awesome. <sighs> Welcome this morning. When I was a little girl, I could never have imagined a day that I would be standing up here on the stage in front of all of you. And I'm just overwhelmed as I get up here, so I'm just preparing you right now. This is going to be emotional. Just adapt to it. But I am so excited, and it just goes to show all that God can do is so much more than we could ever ask or imagine. So thank you guys uh, for being here today. I want to just introduce myself. Some of you are probably like, who is this? <laughs> My name is Jamie Schwartz, and I am the children's and recovery pastor here at Gateway South. Um, so a lot of you are probably like, oh, that's an odd kind of combination. Um, but the truth is, is that if you have ever been a parent, then you probably could use some recovery. <laughs> but let's be honest, if you've ever been a child, you could probably use some recovery too. I'm just grateful to be here, and I want to just welcome all the mamas in the room. Yes, thank you guys. We're so grateful for you. We love you, and we're happy to have you with us this morning. As I was actually getting prepared to teach for Mother's Day, as they were talking to me about a mother's influence, it made me start to have all these memories bubble up of my kiddos and how I've influenced them over the years. And uh, some of it's good, some not so good. <laughs> but it was really fun to be thinking back about that, that we have all this amazing influence. And one of the things that, you know, affected that was the fact that I had my daughter, uh, Caitlin, when I was 19. I have three kids. I have a 20-year-old, Caitlin. I have a 17-year-old son, Kyler, and a 14-year-old son, Carson. And in raising them at such a young age, uh, of course, I made some mistakes. Motherhood was not necessarily the easiest thing to step into. I honestly didn't know what I didn't know until I became a mom. My poor mom has had me call her more times than I can count, apologizing, I didn't know. <laughs> but that's just the reality of the situation. I just didn't know. I thought I knew, I didn't. Um, and there's also just the I, you know, fact that having kids um, can be kind of overwhelming. Those little guys, they're not easy to teach. I remember trying to teach my kids how to not do something. And at the same time, I had to use the word no. And as soon as you start using the word no with little kids, they pick it up. And then they don't miss an opportunity and everything becomes no and no. It was really hard stepping into that role. And I felt like I was kind of having to learn everything all over again. And the thing that really stuck out to me through that is that we have this power to influence and multiply. These kids, like, they pick up on things. I don't know if you've ever heard that saying, things are caught, not taught. But that saying basically implies that while, yes, talking to your children, telling them things is important, they're actually catching a whole lot more from what they see you do. That what you do actually has a greater influence on their lives. Well, I'm telling you all this today because I did not know that. <laughs> and so, of course, that manifested interestingly in my life. And there were a lot of things my kids were catching from me that I was not aware of. One of the situations that kind of came up when I was thinking about this was when my daughter, Caitlin, um, started school. She was in a class uh, with a bunch of other girls who were, had older sisters. And so they, of course, had a little bit more experience, knew a little bit more than Caitlin did. And Caitlin started showing up with some sass in our home. 
And the sass just kind of kept growing and growing. And I connected the dots. I was like, mm, I think that sass is coming from those girls at school who are probably getting it from their sisters. And I kind of let it go and I let it go until one day her sass like reached a high. And I was like, okay, this is it. I'm putting my foot down. This is not going to go on in my home. And so I went to Caitlin and I said, Caitlin, I don't know who you think you are, but you are not going to talk to me that way. That sass may be the way the girls at your school talk to each other, but it is not the way that you are going to talk to me. And Caitlin looks straight at me, and she goes, I don't get it from the girls at school, Mom. I get it from you. Oh, yeah. Now, I, I just want you to think for a second. You probably saw that coming by the way I was talking to her. I did not. It was a blind spot for me. I was totally blind to it. So when she said that back to me, it was like I could see myself, and I was like, oh, I am so sassy. I am sassy. I'm sassy with my husband. I'm sassy with my kids. I had to admit that I was sassy, and Caitlin had caught that from me. That was really hard to accept, but it just reinforced this idea that whether good or bad, we have the power to influence and to multiply. So I want you to think about kids can be like mirrors. Sometimes the good stuff shows up, but sometimes the not-so-good stuff shows up. Either way, they look like us, they talk like us, they reflect us. And this kind of points to what we're talking about here today in the fact that when we think about Mother's Day and what we're really celebrating here, what are we really doing? We're celebrating mothers' influence and invest in, investing in the next generation. And when we look at how mothers nourish and grow and multiply the next generation, it's a really beautiful thing. Actually, think about it for a second. When a mom gets pregnant, literally, like, her body becomes a vessel that is used to nourish life, to grow life, to multiply life. And then when that baby's born, a mom plays a really key role and continuing to help that life grow, and continuing to help nourish and mature that life. And so in that way, they are multipliers of life, and they get to be investors and influencers of the next generation. But then think about it for a second. You're probably like, okay, that's great, but I'm not a mom, and I don't ever plan to be. This is just a Mother's Day message, and hurry up so I can get out of here. But that's not what, what we're here for today. Because I actually believe that motherhood is something that God has created to teach us all something. So I want to ask you to go deeper with me. I want to ask all of you to step into this with me, because I believe that God has something here to teach all of us. Now think about it for a second. God commonly uses physical things to teach us about spiritual things. For example, God uses light and dark to teach us about himself. He uses light as an example of life with him, and he uses dark as an example of life without him. And he also uses the role of a shepherd. He uses the role of a shepherd and a shepherd's job to teach us about himself and the fact that this is how he cares for us. This is how he looks after us. And so he uses physical things in our world all the time. It's like our world is a place where we're constantly, everything is an opportunity for us to learn and grow. Have you ever heard of discovery centers in school? 
they use them for children to actually be able to, as they're learning, to be experiencing. So they learn through an experience. And that is basically what our world is. Our world is a big discovery center where all around us, there are opportunities and ways for us to discover who God is, to discover his ways, that through our world, God is teaching us. He's revealing things to us about himself. And I believe that God has something to teach all of us through the role of motherhood. But I think I've discovered that going back to the beginning when you really want to understand something helps you have a better understanding of it. So today we're going to go back to the beginning of the origin of humanity as we seek to kind of understand what does God have for us here? Because I believe that God has an intentional design through motherhood that actually reflects his heart for us. So starting in the beginning, there's something important for us to know. God always was. He didn't have a beginning. He existed before creation. He didn't start anywhere. He just always was. No beginning, no end. Now, if you're like me, that hurts your brain a little bit because you're like, I, I don't know. How do I? It's hard to understand that. I'm just going to say that's hard to understand. Why? Because we don't have any experience with that. Everything that we know has began somewhere, and we can point back to where it began. Everything we know has a beginning. So we don't have experience with it. And it's hard to understand things that you don't have experience with because you don't have any reference for it. But if God is the creator and created all things, if he is who he says he is, then it kind of makes sense that we wouldn't be able to fully understand him. Kind of makes sense that that might be difficult for us. Think about it like this. If you were going to try to take all of the water in the world and fit it into a little eight-ounce glass, would it work? No, that's just logical. Of course it wouldn't work. That doesn't make any sense. But when you are trying to take an infinite God and fit him into your little finite brain, does that work? No. So we can't fully understand everything about God, but that doesn't mean we can't understand anything. God has created us with the ability to get to know him. And so we can understand things about God. Not being able to understand him fully doesn't mean that we can't try to understand him in some way. And the Bible has a lot to tell us about who God is and about his nature. The Bible has a lot to show us about God. So I want to start foundationally with something we can know about him. God lacks nothing. That means he needs nothing. Before creation, when God existed in perfect relationship with himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the three-in-one God, they had no need. Everything they needed, they had. There was no deficit, nothing lacking. So in their relationship, there was unity, perfect love, perfect peace. And that was out of the overflow of that that they chose to create. God is rich. That means that God has everything he needs and he has more than enough of it. He lives in abundance and he lives in overflow. 
So he's not lacking anything. And this is really important for us to understand because when we think about God creating us out of this abundance and out of this overflow, then it means that God didn't create us to fill a need. It wasn't like he was sitting around saying, man, I think I'm going to make some humans. That'll keep me busy. That'll give me something to do. And then, you know, I'll feel better and my needs will be met. That's not at all what happened. Instead, God chose to create in order that he could be generous. And this is key for us to understand, that God is generous. That out of his abundant love, he chose to create, not because he had to, not out of need, but because he wanted to. Think about it in terms of finances. So when you are in need, when something, a resource, that you need is not being met, you're focused on that. You're focused on getting that need met because you need it, so you have to. But what happens when your needs are met, financially you have everything you need, then you're able to actually shift your focus to wants and desires. And so here's the important thing for us to get. If God didn't need us, but he wanted us, he created us out of a desire to have relationship with us and to be generous to us, that we were created in God's image to be receivers of God's love and to be receivers of life. And not only that, but we were also created to share love and life and to be vessels through which God is generous through us. God created us out of the overflow of his love and through him his family would expand and multiply and so would his love. He created us to be like him. He created us in his image. Now it talks about this in Genesis 26 and 28, verses 26 and 28 in chapter 1. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. I want to break down that word image for you. The word image here actually means statue. Now, in the Old Testament, we know that was a problem. Like, they were creating images. Basically, what it, what it is is, like, creating an image that is meant to reflect a deity or a person. And so this word actually is a statue, an image. But here's the cool thing. God very clearly tells us not to create statues or images. And there's a reason for that. Because God himself has already created an image of himself in us. We were created in God's image. The, the thing that's really cool about that is that you can see that. You see it all around us. So think about the multiplication of that. God created us. He created Adam. And then out of Adam, he created Eve. And then out of Eve, he created humanity. Now, when we look around, we see evidence of this happening when you see a little baby, what's the first thing you ask? What are you trying to figure out? Who it looks like, right? Does it look like the mom? Does it look like the dad? We're always trying to figure that out. It's like the first thing we say. But that's because we are looking for resemblance. We know that that little one is going to carry 
some resemblance and bear the image of its parents in some physical form. So we say, oh, you have your mother's eyes or you have your dad's sense of humor. You laugh just like your dad. But we see that all the time and it's this multiplication that starts with God and comes to us and then it comes through us and we're part of God's plan to create and multiply life. God created us to be his children and out of his abundant love to be like him. And through us, he reveals his design for multiplying life and love. Now, if we look in Genesis 1, in verses 22 and 23, we see God give the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve, a blessing, along with a specific instruction. He says, it says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Are you starting to see the beauty of God's plan? The beauty of his design to multiply love and life to us and through us? That through each step of the way, God was working to expand his family and the thing that's really cool is that we see in this verse the uniqueness of Eve. Because Eve, actually the word Eve in Hebrew means life. So God brought life to Adam, and then through Adam, God brought life to Eve. And then through Eve, God brings life to humanity. Women were created uniquely. And God starts to unravel and reveal his plan for motherhood. Motherhood is this role that is uniquely designed to be the vessel through which humanity is multiplied. So think about it like this. When we see this act of motherhood, it reveals to us, it shows us God's heart. God loves us. And God wants to pour his love through us. It's such a high gift to be like God, to be life bearers and life givers. But I want to ask you a question. How are you showing up in your life, in your work, in your community, in your family? Are you somebody that others would say is life-giving, brings life to the people that are around them. Now, this part, I don't know if you guys, do, you probably rewatch movies. And so when you're watching that movie a second or a third time, if you've seen it before, obviously, if you're watching the second or third time, you liked it. Otherwise, you wouldn't watch it again. But you know when there's a part in the movie that's really scary or a particular part that is sad? And as you're working up to that part, you know that's coming, and you're just like, oh, and you kind of get, like, nervous about it. And, well, here's what happens in my mind. I play out this scenario of how I wish it would go. And then I just kind of, like, hope in an impossible way that somehow from the last time I watched the movie to now it would have changed, and it'll go the way I'm, like, really hoping it will go. Of course, you guys know that's crazy, and that doesn't happen. Um, but the reality is, is that I long for it to be different. I'm like, when that person goes to make that choice, I'm like, don't do it, don't do it but they do it, and it goes that way, and that's the way it happens. Well, 
for me, this is, that, this is the part of the story where I feel that way. Like, I just wish the storyline would go differently, but it doesn't. And when I was six years old, I have this vivid memory of I was outside my home, and I was had, having this fight with one of my sisters and my brother. And I don't even remember what we were fighting about. I just remember that I was devastated. I was so devastated by this fight. I was so upset. I threw myself on the ground very dramatically, and I cried out to God, Why did Adam and Eve have to sin? I know, that's odd. I was odd. (laughs) Six-year-olds don't do that, right? (laughs) But at six years old, I had this understanding that this was when everything changed. Everything changed. You see, multiplication's great, right? As long as what we're multiplying is love and life. But what happens when sin and death enters the picture? What happens when sin and death show up? The reality is, is that this principle of multiplication, this power that we've been given is great, but what if we scrap that plan and we scrap God's plan and we go our own way? We then shift and then we have this power, but instead of multiplying love and life, we start to multiply sin and death. And in that way, it starts to spread. Our world, when we look around, we see it's broken. I know that there are some of you that came here today that found it hard to come because your mom hurt you. I know that there are some of you that came here today that have a deep desire and longing to be a mother and circumstances are not working out the way you want them to. I know that there are some of you that are here today that are struggling in your marriage and you're feeling the weight of the brokenness of relationships in our world. I know that there are some of you today that are up against obstacles like depression and anxiety, that you're experiencing great fear and hopelessness. If God created us to multiply love and life, why is there so much sin and death? Why is there so much darkness around us? In Genesis 3, our origin story takes a turn for the worst. You see, God had created Adam and Eve in this perfect environment of the garden. And in that, of course, he created them for a love relationship, out of love for love. But love is not something that can be forced. Love is something that must be chosen. And so, because of that, God gave them a choice. He put a tree in the garden, and he specifically told them, this is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat from it. Now, all they'd known at that point was God's goodness. All they'd ever seen was God's generosity. They had never experienced anything that would have caused them to question God or would have caused them to feel like, God was holding out on them. God had only been a generous and abundantly loving God and had only provided for them. But we see in the story that that's not what happened. See, in this, they actually chose in their deceived state to question God's goodness. They felt like God was holding out on them. And in questioning him and in believing that he was holding out on them and falling into that, they took an action 
that we call sin. They chose to reject God and his ways, and they chose to rebel against him. Now, this word sin, a lot of times it can be confusing because different people think it means different things, but the word is literally an archery term, and it means to miss the mark. So, like, if you're shooting arrows at a target, and you are shooting at this bullseye, and you miss it, they would go up, they would look at where your arrow hit, and they would, if you miss, they would call out sin, and that's what that word means. But what we see is, in Adam and Eve's case, our, our thinking is like, tends to be like, oh, they just missed by a little bit. They just got you know, just a tiny bit off. But in reality, that's not the case at all. In this situation, Adam and Eve didn't just miss the mark slightly. In this situation, they knew God. They knew his goodness. Hitting the bullseye would have been trusting him. And in trusting him, that would have been the way they showed their love to him. But what they did in rebelling against God, of eating from the tree that God told them not to, it's as if they said, you know what, I see your target, but I actually think I'm going to aim over here. I'm going to set my sights elsewhere. And they aimed completely opposite of what God had said. And in that, they sinned. And that changed everything because that changed the way that they related with God. That changed the way they saw God. That beautiful, perfect relationship was broken because they didn't trust him. They didn't trust his goodness. They didn't trust that he was there for them, that he had told them the truth. They mistrusted him, and in their mistrust, they made a decision against him, to rebel against him. Now, have you ever been in a relationship where you mistrusted somebody? And in that relationship, you might think they're gossiping about you or that they're lying to you, and it's not fun. Because everything they do then, you're questioning it, and you're looking at everything through that lens. It changes the way you see them. Whether they've done it or not, your mistrust changes how you relate with them, and that's exactly what happened with Adam and Eve. They saw God through this broken lens of mistrust, and they didn't trust him, and they continued to rebel. And now think about it. Think about this beautiful power of multiplication of life and love. But now under this new way and their rebellion, if they were no longer in this beautiful relationship with God and they were rebelling against him, they were still multiplying, but they were no longer multiplying the way that God had designed them. They had let sin enter the world and through sin, death, and they began to multiply it. God had created them uniquely to multiply love and life but through their sin and their rebellion of God they began to multiply sin and death and actually Paul talks about this in Romans 5 12 he says therefore just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin and in this way death came to all people because all had sinned God did not create us for this he did not create us to rebel. He did not create us to multiply sin and death. But when we rebel against him, that's exactly what we do. That's exactly what we do. And it manifests in our lives. One of the ways that this is manifested in my life happened, started happening after I started my family. 
I wouldn't have said before I started my family that I had an anger problem, but once I started having kids, I started to have these anger outbursts, and I didn't like it, because what would happen is I felt like something small would happen that would trigger me. One of my kids would do something, my husband would do something, and I felt like I would just go there and I would see red, and I would just lose it on them. I would say critical things, I would say judgmental things, I would yell at them, I would get in their face. And that was not who I wanted to be. And as soon as I started to calm down, I felt so much shame and so much guilt. That's not the mom I wanted to be. And I would tell myself, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to do that again. And next time I did it, it was more shame. Because no matter how many times I tried to stop, wanting to stop wasn't enough. I kept doing it, and I felt so powerless. And that made me so sad. But what was even worse was when I would see it show up in my kids. I started to see this anger problem multiplying in them when something didn't go the way they wanted it to. Then all of a sudden, they would blow up. They would get angry. They would lash out. And that grieved my heart because that is not who I wanted them to be. But I also didn't know how to stop it. So I just cried out to God for help. I prayed that he would help me to help them. And at that point in my life, one of my most consistent prayers was, God, help my children not to turn out like me. Help them not to have this problem like I have it. I knew that I needed help. I felt so powerless. I think that maybe you can relate to that. Because I know that there are things that show up in our life, anger, selfishness, that after we experience a selfish act or we lash out in anger or we do something greedy or we, whatever it is, we beat ourselves up about it. We judge ourselves about it. And we're like, I'm not doing that again. But then the next time it happens, that shame just waves over you. And the next time it happens, it waves over you. And it just feels like a prison and you get weighed down by it because it's like no matter how many times I try not to do this, I keep doing it. I don't want to. But then what happens? What do we do with that? It's like it starts to push us down. It starts to hunch us over. And that prison that we're in, it starts to just get us comfortable there. And we just, we stop trying to get out of it. We just start trying to cope. We just try to make life there. And eventually, we might even tell ourselves, I want to be here. As a way to protect ourselves, I want to be here. I like this prison. This prison's who I am. And that's what we convince ourselves of. But it's like every once in a while, this little spark, it's like a distant memory flutters up inside of us and reminds us, you are made for more than this. This is not what you were created for, and this is not who you are. Now, you might be thinking at this point, this whole multiplication thing was great when we were multiplying love and life, but now with this whole sin and death thing and everything that you're just talking about, this sounds like a serious design flaw. And God knew that, right? Like, why would God create us? And then allow us to multiply sin and death. Why doesn't he stop it? Why doesn't he do anything about it? Why doesn't he put a stop to it? 
Well, friends, this is my favorite part because this is where things get really good. You see, this whole time that man rebelled and rejected God, we changed. Our view of things changed. It was broken. But the beauty is that God never did. He never changed. He stayed constant. He stayed steadfast. He stayed steady. And he continued to love us. He continued to pursue us. He continued to want us. And he was bent on making things right with us and reconciling us in relationship. He was determined to win us back and to adopt us back into his family. Romans 5, 6 6 and 8 says it like this. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were still in opposition to God going our own way, rebelling against him, Christ died for us. Now, I don't know about you, but if somebody tasked me with the plan of saving the world, killing or sacrificing my one and only son wouldn't even make the list. I can come up with a lot of ideas and thoughts as to how I would save the world, but I wouldn't even have considered this one. Now, as I was preparing for this, God had me think about it through a different lens. See, I have a, two sisters and a brother, and God had me consider if they got into serious trouble, if they got so in debt that the only way for them to be rescued out of that, if they were in such a bad, dark place, and the only way to rescue them out of that was to offer up your life as a trade, would you do it? Or what if they were lost and they were completely lost and you saw the pain in your parents' eyes and you saw their hurt and their heartbreak, would you go and give everything you have, give your life to try to find them? You bet I would. I can tell you that with absolute certainty. My brothers and sisters are my family. I love them. They're precious to me. But the reality is, If that's true for me, how much more would that be true for Jesus? If I want so badly to help save my brothers and sisters, how much more would Jesus want to save and rescue us? How much more would he go through sacrificing his life through the depths to bring us home to our Father? And that's exactly what he did. Nobody forced him to do it. He went out. He found us. He went out. He died for us so that he could bring us back. So that he could reconcile us and make us right with God. So that through him, we could have new life. We could have a new identity. That we're no longer that old self. That's in prison self that he could open up. Bust those gates open to that prison and set us free so that we could identify in him, so that we could be born again with a new life, with a new identity. 
and that we could become children of God. That's exactly what he did. That's exactly who he is. Through him, we are brought home and we are reunited with our Father. And we all receive this empowered new life. And God's family, God's family is different. You might come from a broken home. We all do. Because none of us are perfect. None of us are perfect. So we make mistakes. We multiply sin. We multiply death. But God reconciled us to himself through Jesus. So that he could, through us, continue to multiply life and love by creating in us a new family, an extended family, an expanded family. And in this family, things are different than the old way. In this family, we all are empowered with the gift of multiplying love and life. In this family, we all become mothers. We all get that opportunity. In this family, there isn't anyone who's childless. In this family, there's not anyone who's parentless. In this family, we are all loved. We are all chosen. We are all wanted. In this family, we have new life. And we get a new chance to live that blessing out, be fruitful and multiply. Because that is God's heart to you. He is generous to you so that he can be generous through you. And think of the power of that. If this family rised up and lived with the love and generosity of God pouring through them, think of what God could do through us and what he will do through us when we respond to him. God loves us no matter how you came here today. He loves you. No matter what you've got going on, he loves you. And what you need to know is that that prison is not your home and it's not your identity. That is not who God created for. He didn't create you just to cope with your life. He created you to thrive. He created you to live a life of abundance. And he wants to share that abundant life through you. Jesus said it so beautifully when he said, the thief, he comes to steal, he comes to kill, and he comes to destroy. But I come so that you may have life and have it abundantly. God means to bring abundant life to you and through you. Now, I want to leave you with a thought and a challenge. That thought is, God loves you with a generous, abundant love that he wants you to receive and experience today and every day. His plan for you is not for you to just stay in that prison. He wants you to thrive. And so he has an invitation for you that he's extended to come to him. Come to my family through Jesus. Now I want to ask you, challenge you to close your eyes with me right now. Just close them. Think for a second of how the generosity of God is flowing through you currently. What might be acting as a dam in your life, causing you to hoard God's blessing and generosity instead of sharing it? Is it fear? 
Is it greed? Is it selfishness? Control? Lies like, I don't know enough, I don't have enough, I don't have enough time or energy or resources? What might you need to let go of and entrust to God so that you can open your hands and let God pour out generosity through your life? Now I want you to keep your eyes closed as we pray together. And just turn your hands, open your hands and turn your palms up. And just hold your hands open as we pray. God, you are generous. You are a good father. And we are here today because you chose us, because you wanted us. There's not a single one of us here that wasn't chosen before the foundations of the world by you. You designed us to be like you, just like children reflect their parents. We were created to reflect you. But our sin and death does not reflect your heart. But through Jesus, you have made a new way, new life, abundant life. And we know that we can't save ourselves on our own. We know that no matter how hard we try, we can't do that, God, but you can. Thank you that through Jesus, you give us new life. Through Jesus, you give us abundant life. And that through Jesus, we get to be adopted into your family. We get to be forgiven and made right. And we get to be made new. So Lord, I pray over everyone here today, wherever they might be struggling, whatever sin you know is holding them down, whatever lies they might be believing, God, would you meet them there? And would you pour out your abundant love on them? And would you help us all, God, to see that we are created by you, by your generous heart, so that we can receive your love and your overflow of generosity, but also so that we can pour it out to the world around us who so desperately needs to experience your love. Lord, we lift this up to you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.